Good morning. Our scripture this morning comes from John's Gospel, the first chapter. We'll be reading verses 29 through 34. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testify that this is God's chosen one. Let's pray for our pastor as he comes to deliver this message today. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for your word, and we're thankful for Pastor Mike. And as he comes to share the interpretation of this text, Lord, may it be led by your spirit, and may our ears receive what you would say to us, your church. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Good morning. Glad to see a lot of you out there in the red and black, and maybe some of you still wearing your favorite team wear. We we uh, decided this was Logo Sunday, so that meant our logo, Methodist Cross and Flame logo, is red and black, and so uh, we did that, and we thank you. We do a lot of fun stuff during February. You're not required to do any of it, of course, but we hope that you'll uh, join along it, and I really want to thank you in advance for your great gifts to the uh, Marion Food Pantry through our, our soup uh, competition. A couple of... Uh, words before I dive right into the interpretation of the scripture. First, um, if any of you uh, run into John or Peg Morris this week, they, they are John and uh, J.P. Uh, M. and company, they're the ones who out of the goodness of their heart moved our snow pile yesterday. We had a snow pile about as big as a house. We'd done the cost analysis on uh, what it was worth to, me- to let it melt or what it was worth to uh, Leave it there. It was a couple thousand dollars of hauling away snow, and one of our good members just did it for nothing. So we, amen to that. So thank them uh, if, you, if you see them. I remind you about the sweetheart dinner that, that Keith mentioned. And also, I just want to take a minute and talk about our 175th anniversary as a church. You heard the call to get out there to the prayer, to, to the prayer square at the property. It's going to be a gorgeous day, a few gorgeous days in a, in a row. Hope you'll go. And, and I call your attention to uh, the banner that's going to be hanging here for the balance of our year um, that, that calls your attention to the fact that uh, we're not the first group that's come through Marion Methodist and we won't be the last. So certainly uh, we're grateful for, for the group that put that uh, together. And our opening celebration for our 175th uh, year was held here a few weeks ago, uh, or a week and a half ago, um, at the uh, 412 hashtag premiere. Were any of you here for that? Yeah, look at all those hands. Yeah, it was awesome. It was an awesome night uh, of worship and praise, and, and so we are grateful uh, for that day. Now, let's go right into the scriptures. Those of you that have been coming to uh, worship, is that me? I lost in the, do I need to go to the pulpit? I can do that if you need me to. All right. We'll try it. Matt's fixing stuff up there. Maybe that'll solve it. But um, we're working right through the gospel of John in, in these weeks uh, right now. And, and when we are working straight through a gospel, it's important for us, for you to keep reading along with us, but also to understand that one week is connected to the last week. So even though 
Um, we, we have, the, 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 the fact of the matter is that we might have missed a week of worship. The scriptures are still attached to each other. So this scripture starts with the words, the very next day. Now when a scripture starts with the very next day, it means it's connected to the last day, right? And the last day was the day that, pre- that Keith preached about the last time we gathered as a congregation. That day when, when people were asking John the Baptist who he was. Are you the Messiah? Are you the prophet? Are you another one that's yet to come? And John clearly explained that he was the one who was telling of the great one that is to come. Whose sandals he was very unworthy even to untie. So this morning's scripture that Keith read just a couple moments ago contains in it four things that John the Baptist says about Jesus, and then, of course, four choices in regards to those things that we can make. The first thing John the Baptist says is that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, we've heard this a hundred times, and some of us that have been to church many times need to rehear this. What John the Baptist is making the case of is something that we know all the time. And that is simply the baseline that sin is real. Do you believe that? You know, sin is real. It's a clear biblical message over and over and over again that sin is real and we need to put our minds around sin. sin, And I'll take it one next obvious step that sin is bad. God is against sin. He stands in direct opposition to our sin and all the sin of the world. And sin is anything that leads us away from God, puts something between us and God, takes us towards our own from His, and sin is always present. No matter who we are, sin seems to be nearby. Now, here's the thing for John the Baptist. When John the Baptist points to Jesus, he says, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He uses it in a singular way. He doesn't say sins, because what John the Baptist is saying is the world is in sin. It is broken and needing of a fix. It needs a salvation. And God has tolerated sin for such a long time And God wants it gone. So he sends his son Jesus to encounter and defeat sin. Now, John the Baptist could speak of washing away sins. He could speak of getting rid of of, of what you have, the, the sins you have. He could talk about how you could get your life clean of sin. But he could not accomplish getting rid of all the sin of the world. He could allow you and help you to have yours forgiven, but he could not accomplish the removal of all the sin in the world. But Jesus, he cleanses the world. He absolutely, fully, and completely cleanses the world. You see, the lamb is symbolic for the Hebrews. You, You that have any biblical uh, you know, or Sunday school remembrance at all, remember how the lamb is, gains its significance in the Hebrew people. When the Egyptians have Israel trapped and, and enslaved 
in their country, God, after nine other plagues, ten plagues, after ten plagues, tells the Israelites, tonight's the night I'm going to let you, I'm going to set you free. And to be freed, what you need to do is find a young lamb, kill it, sacrifice it, cook it all, take its blood, wipe the blood on the doorpost of your home, and as the spirit of death comes into Israel, to Egypt to kill all the firstborn among the Egyptians and of that land, if you're If the lamb's blood is on your doorpost, the spirit of death will pass over your home. You will be saved by blood. There is blood salvation here implied. Now when John the Baptist calls Jesus the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, obviously all the Hebrew people that were there would say, is he the one? Is it? Is it? You know, because they understood what lamb meant. They understood what that concept meant. I think I'm going to step over here because I'm... I've used this before. Ready to go? All right, I'll just come thundering away then. When, 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 when the Hebrews heard that John the Baptist was the lamb of God who took away the sin of the world, what, what they knew is that every single morning... Every single day, there was a lamb sacrificed in the morning and his blood was poured out for the sins of the people so that they might be forgiven. And the last thing that they did at night in the temple was to sacrifice another lamb. So two lambs a day were being sacrificed in the temple of the Hebrews in Jerusalem because of the sins of the people. And they believed that it was through that blood that they could be freed for a little while because always for salvation, always for cleansing, blood was necessary. Now note this. The lambs of the temple sacrifice are innocent and unaware of what's coming to them. They are innocent and they have no idea what is coming. They're out there doing what lambs do, wandering around in the temple yard, eating their little grass or whatever. And then the night comes or the morning comes and that's the end of the lamb. They are completely innocent and unaware. They they are unsuspecting of what might happen to them. But the lamb of the world, Jesus, our Savior, though innocent, is very aware. He is very aware of what his sacrifice would mean. As a matter of fact, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, Isaiah the prophet spoke of it when he wrote these words. Surely he, pointing to Jesus, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. That is the things that are destined to us, the sin, the difficulty that is to be us, that, that, that we deserve, Jesus takes on. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgression, wounded for us. He was crushed for our iniquities, for the things that we did wrong. The punishment that was brought upon, that, that brought the punishment that brought us peace, The thing that brings us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. We're not even, in in a physical term, healed by our own wounds. But yet from a theological standpoint, what the Lord says is that by his wounds, those, those things he takes on himself, we are healed. 
We can be made one with him. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned our own, to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So that when Christ goes on the cross, he has all the sin, all of it, of the world upon him. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He did not resist. He was aware, though innocent, of the sacrifice that he was making. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so our Lord does not open his mouth. By sacrificing himself, and Jesus knows this going in, he dooms sin. He alone is able, and he alone does this. Colossal and impregnable and unbeatable as it seems in our life, Jesus' sacrifice, through Jesus' sacrifice, the sin of the world is doomed. See, tonight, at the end of our service today, we're going we're to come together and we're going to take Holy Communion. And I want to tell you a little bit about what that's about. See, the cup and the bread that you'll encounter, the cup and the bread that you'll engage with, the cup and the bread of communion, celebrate the fact that sin and hell has already lost. The sin of the world is defeated. Hell has been pushed back through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So, if he cleanses the world, you are to live clean. You live clean. Embrace the, 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 the removal of the sin provided you. One of my friends who is a preacher used to say this all the time. Confess, then don't make a mess. Confess, then don't make a mess. You know, I can put it in, in smaller terms for you. Back in the days when, when children used to wear their Sunday go-to-meeting shirt clothes to church... There, there was a mother who was getting herself ready. You know, get all the kids ready, you, you moms and dads remember. This. Get all the kids ready first, then get yourself ready. Well, it was a spring day, so the, she'd sent the little boys out. Just stand on the back porch. Don't, don't make a mess of yourself. And when she went out, they're all ready for church. They were covered with mud from the backyard mud puddle. She said, boys, I told you not to make a mess, but get in here, change. She changes them all up. She says, now mommy has a couple more things to do. Now go out in the front yard and stand still and don't go back in that backyard mud puddle. And when she went out the front door, sure as you would guess, they were covered with mud. And they, she said to them, boys, I told you not to go into, the, into the, the mud in the backyard. And they said, but mommy, this is front yard mud. You see, that's kind of how we are, isn't it? Our mud seems to find us. It doesn't matter where I go in my life. My sin seems to precede me there. Those things that tempt me and trick me and, and make me want to step away from God's way, no matter where I go, even sometimes in prayer, it seems to be nibbling at my ear. Does that happen to you? No, no matter if you transfer yourself from the front yard to the backyard, doesn't it seem... Like that which tempts you and tries to pull you away is there. And i got to tell you about sin. Yours is different than mine. But there's something in our minds about it that makes it very attractive to us. Even though we know we don't need it in our lives. So he cleanses the whole world and puts on us the opportunity to live clean, to confess and then not make a mess. 
And so the simple guide to us all is that this is a choice that's an affiliation to choose to live not as your heart guides you. I, I, I've gone on about that many times at length. About If we follow our own hearts, we're in great it, error. We're in great peril. But we are to choose to live as God's heart guides us. Now, the second thing John the Baptist says is this about Jesus. He was before me. Now, John the Baptist, in human terms... Is six months older than Jesus. We know that from reading the story of his birth. That, that Jesus is John the Baptist's younger cousin. So how is the younger older or before the younger? Well, the fact of the matter is, is as, Jesus, as, John the, as the book of John describes it to us, Jesus is, while younger, he's older than John the Baptist by millions of years, maybe eons. Because Jesus was preexistent. He preexisted. John the Baptist. It wasn't just that, that, that he was older in earthly terms. He was older in every terms. In the scriptures it says he, speaking of Jesus, existed in the beginning with God. And importantly, it says he gave life to everything that was created. Now remember where we started with the Gospel of John. He gave life to everything that was created, which means you exist in him. I exist in him. That's the fact. We exist in him. The how we exist in him, that's our choice. We, we exist in him already because he made us. He is the great I am, the great creator of all things. Through him, nothing was made with, that was made. Without him, nothing was made that was made. He is the great I am. And, and, and our choice is how to live into the fact that we live in him. And you won't be coerced. You won't be coerced to do things you don't want to do. You, don't, you won't be coerced to, to live a, a holy life or anything like that. But you will be invited. In Acts chapter 17, it says this. God creates and stays close to us so that we would seek him. And perhaps reach out to him and find him. Though he is not far from any of us. For in him, I love this sentence, for in him. We live, we move, we have our being. I got to tell you what, when the crap storm of life is coming upon you, sorry for that unpreaching term, when a mud storm of life is flowing over you, you remind yourself, in him I live, I move, I have my being. And John the Baptist simply tells us, yield to that, live into that. Third thing that John the Baptist baptizer says to us is that he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. See, John comes and he clearly says this, and Keith did a nice job of of telling us about this a few weeks ago, that John's baptism washes away our sins. He washes away the sins of your life. He's focused on you. You go into the water, you, you confess, you repent, you come back out, and your sins are washed away. He can, and he had the ability to wash the sins of your life away. But Jesus' baptism is one of the Holy Spirit. And that's an inclusion in his life. It's not a removal from one thing. It's an inclusion into the life of Christ. You see, he will fill you with his presence and power. And the presence is that is that feeling that you get, that sense of the Holy Spirit always being there. No matter what's going on in your life, there's this feeling of presence unmistakably, 
that comes when you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. I, I remember when I was a little kid. I, I grew up in South Marion. And I don't know if it was a trick or I don't know what it was about, but sometimes my mother would vacuum at night. I, I've never done a, you know, an evaluation in my mind of when that was, if she just did that when we were particularly unruly that day or, or what. But I remember because she was vacuuming, all those bedroom doors had to be shut upstairs. And you hear that, oh. What's interesting, I don't even know if she was standing there by it or not or just, you know, sitting in her chair hoping for the best. <laughs> Running it. I really don't. But, but one of the things I do know is that when that vacuum was running, and before the days of today, in my days of growing up, someone had to manually operate a vacuum. And so when that vacuum was going, though you couldn't see the presence, just by the noise of it all, you felt this unmistakable presence of someone that was there to shepherd and guide you. It was unmistakable that someone was there. And and I would say in much greater message and manner, that is what God does for us. When I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit at University Park in Denver, Colorado Church, the one thing I knew from there forward was that God was unmistakably present in my life. And that present is very useful when those things that tempt me and try me, which come, you know, every moment, are there because I know that there's a presence that can overwhelm them. But there's that unmistakable presence of God here in our lives. And if you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that unmistakable presence of God that is here and around you is available to you. And and when John the Baptist says he will fill you with his presence and power, what he's saying is he gives you his power. That means you're part of the mission, you see. You're part of God's mission. I, I remember years ago I was in my office in a whole different community one of the students from my youth group walked in and he plopped himself down in my office. He was an 11th grader. And just across the street from my church was the middle school that was kind of being completely overtaken as the preparation for prom began to happen. They took the cafetorium and the gym and they did these elaborate decorations and all this kind of stuff. And Clark sat down in my office and I said, what are you guys doing? And he says, oh, we're getting set up for prom. And I said, you're an 11th grader. Aren't you kind of in charge of that? And he says, yeah, we kind of are. I said, well, why aren't you over there helping? And they said, our parents won't let us help. Their prom, their mission, they were excluded. That's not the way Jesus works. He gives you his presence and his power to be part of his mission. And you are involved. And when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you are deeply involved. Because what Christ says is where you are, I am also. And where you are, you are my plan. You're my only plan. You're the only plan for my mission. And we are to open ourselves to receive and depend upon it. You see, when we proclaim, and it's all over our bulletins, it's printed on the wall downstairs, that the, that the mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, that makes us involved. We say, what disciples? Where are we supposed to make disciples on? We've got to be empowered where you're at. I've got to tell you a story because he's in the room right now. A couple years ago, I met... I met with Tim for lunch, and he says, what should be my ministry? And I said, you know, we got a woman coming to our church, Tim. You remember this conversation? We got this woman coming to our church, Tim, brings her little kids all the time, and her husband never comes, and he works close to you. I said, start encouraging him to come. And he did. 
Now, the good news is that guy starts coming to our church, gets involved in our church, and then gets moved to another church, to another town. And now, because of the conversation by someone who received the presence and power of God to encourage that person that lived right here, that person is gone, and he's an elder in one of the biggest churches in Iowa. Can you believe that? What's my luck, right? But, but, but it's only because Chris is only at the center of a church because he had a wife praying for him and he had a friend that said, oh, make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That happens right here. Right? That's where that happens. We become part of the, the, the mission. We, we have to understand that we have to open ourselves to, to receive that mission and, and depend upon it to receive Jesus' power and, and be empowered by it and to depend and trust in the Lord of the mission. See, I mentioned Tim, but he knew all along that neither he or I are good enough to convince this guy to start coming to church because he didn't want to come to church. But the Lord of the mission, he had the power and he had the potency to be at a few lunches and a few conversations. That's how it works for all of us. And that's how the mission is done. And the fourth thing that John the Baptist said, when he pointed to Jesus, he said, he is God's chosen one. There's only one. Don't look for another. There wasn't another before. There's not another one coming, for Jesus Christ is my one and only Son. We'll spend a lot of time on that in chapter 3. But understand this, that He is the chosen one, and if you have the chosen one, you don't need another one. It's not a sequel coming. It's not chosen one, two, okay? It's not chosen one, three, you know? And it's not like the Super Bowl. We don't eventually run out of you know, Roman numerals and have to go to other numerals, okay? It's the chosen one. Jesus is God's chosen one. And here's the coolest thing about the chosen one is he chooses you. He chooses you. Understand what he's done for you. Understand that with all the other possibilities in the world, with all the other possibilities in the galaxies and the universes that he has created, he sets his lot with us as humanity. He chooses you. And I think one of the things that we do poorly as Christians is get our mind around this. You know, we live in the 21st century. And so we kind of think we're entitled to a Savior. That we're entitled to a Lord. That we're entitled to a God. We're not entitled. We don't deserve any of this. We were chosen for this work. We were chosen for this mission. And there are billions of other possibilities that the Lord could have made. But get your mind around the fact that you're the one and you're the ones that he wants. And in response, you choose him. If he is God's chosen one and he has chosen you, our response is simple. You choose him. You see, I do a lot of thinking about what God's got in mind for our lives not only as a congregation, but as individuals. And I, and I think, you know, how does this all play out ultimately and actually? You see, I think that when time plays out and we meet our God face to face, now this is an I think. When I meet my God face to face, when, when the, 
the, hour, the, the sand of the hourglass of my life is played out. And I meet God face to face, and of course he knows the account of my life. The one testimony and proclamation he's going to ask of me, I believe, is that I gave you my son, Mike. What did you do with my son? In your life, what did you do with my son? If we exist in him, and he chooses us, all of our life comes down to our choice in that matter. The Lord has come for you. And in your everyday, thousands of decisions and movements in every single day, the question comes to you is, what have you done with his son? We know what the people of his generation did. We have the, the cross before us. We know those things. And I encourage you and, and challenge you this morning to, to something different today. I, I said at the earlier service, I said one of the things that's most difficult for me when it comes to Holy Communion is to hear on the way into church or on the way after worship, well, the pastor made us take communion today. I tell you this, I'm not making anybody do anything. I'm inviting you to make one of the most strategic proclamations or acts of proclamation you can possibly make. Because if you, if you think I'm making you, sit still. You might be annoyed for 10 or 15 minutes while the music plays or something like that. But you're in church, you kind of assume something like this might happen. But don't feel like you have to stand in line. Please don't feel like you have to come forward. That's, that's not what that is about. Even though we do this 12 or 15 times a year, this is one of the most holy things a person can do. It's tangible. It involves our senses. And it has this. You see, I think that Holy Communion is one of the most strategic acts that you or I can perform. That's something we actually do. Holy Communion is one of the most strategic acts that you can perform. Because in these moments, when you come down, you're proclaiming your affiliation. You're proclaiming that He takes away the sin of the world, and we have to, we have to ask ourselves, Here will I give him mine. If he takes away the sin of the world, he's willing to take yours. Will you give it to him here, on your knees, here in the tasting of the bread and the juice, here as you sit and pray for him? He's existed before time and space, and he invites you to live out your entire life in him. The question is, will you? He offers you. His unmistakable presence and power to be part of His mission for the world and the baptism that's available by His Holy Spirit, will you take it or not? And He has chosen you as His son or His daughter. Do you choose Him as the Lord of your life in every single moment that comes by you? Now, when we come to communion, we like to include everyone. So you can kind of see maybe where you're seated. There's some bags here on our steps. Those are for folks that can't make it to worship with us, that we have folks that as they take communion, they grab the bags with their names on them, and they extend our ministry to nursing homes, to people's living rooms, uh, to hospital beds. If you need assistance and you're here, um, Vicki will be coming around in a moment to, to bring it to you because we want everyone to have opportunity. And the reason that, that we set up communion the way we did today with the crosses. The simple way of coming forward. There's an offering plate down here. There's a bowl of bread and the juice. 
you know, it's, it's really just for you to not be encumbered by confirmation stewards or by one of your pastors when you come. But to just come and have moments with you and Jesus. We believe that nothing else is needed to interface with the Holy Spirit and and our Lord except our heart inclined to him. So when you come forward, don't feel like you have to come. Don't feel pushed. As a matter of fact, if you came today and said, you know what, Pastor, you're right. I'm not ready. I don't want to come. Just go ahead and sit still. That's okay. For those of you that aren't part of our church, you've never been here before, we invite everyone. So if Jesus Christ is your Lord and you go to a different church, this is, this is welcome to you today. Or if you want to have that moment today where you've really never done this and say, I really want to give my heart to Jesus, this is your opportunity. So the bread represents Jesus' body, broken for you. The blood represents the blood of salvation that gives all of us our freedom and removes the sin from the world. This is for you. As the ushers direct you, come eat, come and drink at your Lord's table.